Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for October 29th, 2017. Koyo here. So very, very glad you joined us. This morning I'd like to start off with uh, I'm finishing up autumn work in the garden, uh, putting it to bed, so to speak for the winter time. And I was thinking about um, uh, wood chips and compost. Um, local relative, after we moved to Central California, uh, person is a gardener and showing me the ropes uh, locally. And told me about um, a nice place where you can get wood chips and, and compost a very reasonable price and it happens to be at a Gallo winery. I guess Gallo has a huge um, it's not what you ordinarily think of as a as a winery like uh, in wine country but this is a huge fact big storage tanks and you know because Gallo is a pretty big operation um, but I, I guess I imagine that when such a big operation and making wine involves uh, grape vines and a lot of waste products from that whole process of taking plants materials and so forth um, <clears throat> twigs and you know all that leftover stuff so they made um, uh, they have to somehow you got to dispose of it so it's kind of nice that they compost it and then they sell uh, compost and wood chips to the public okay not very many people know this but you know locally but okay uh, and then they started a, a green waste program where a lot of the landscape people, you know, when they uh, cut down things and have all the plant debris, they go there and with at, for just a slight cost, they could dump all their, their green waste there. And so it's a pretty big operation in terms of all different kinds of size wood chips, uh, compost, and that they sell. And it's very reasonable. I have to get a whole uh, pickup truck load, bed load of compost for $11. Wow. Okay. This is, uh, I guess what I'm, well, so I got some uh, wood chips and I spread it out and I, I just did that the other day. And I spread out some wood chips as mulch, you know, as all gardeners know. Hey, mulch is good. <laughs> you spread it out on the ground, and it conserves moisture in there, and it prevents weeds from coming up. So mulch is good. And I mulched some rows of Sharon plants. I just planted a couple of weeks ago five rows of Sharon's. Uh, along the fence 
where my vegetable gardens are. Kind of dress it up, and Rosa Sharon's are nice. Their their blossoms are big, and they last quite a long time in the summertime. And but I got those five Rosa Sharon plants when they're only about an inch or two tall. On a visit to Chicago, when I was visiting my sister, they have some Rosa Sharon, and a lot of what they call volunteers. You know, a lot of little the seeds fall down under the tree and they come up and so I I brought home about five of them and I planted them in small pots and now they're about four feet tall and so I said oh I'm going to figure out where to plant them and then I decided and so forth and this all goes back to my father often when he went to visit as when he went had to go someplace uh, as a guest speaker or something, and or he stay, he would look around and he would bring back live little live plants. Or maybe if he was staying in a person's home, you know, and they had a garden there, you know, because his background was uh, as a landscape gardener. He did not come from a minister's family, okay. So he had that eye whenever he was around, you know, he was looking at, looking at the plants and so forth. And in fact, one time I was staying at a home in Hamilton, Canada, and the lady happened to have a master garden and won some prizes, you know. Um, and so I, I thought I'd, I started to get this habit of looking around, you know, you get up in the morning and you start walking around and, see, and I thought, Hey, I wonder if I could get a, bring home a plant. And she says, okay. And she was enthusiastic about it. Okay, gardeners like to share. And so she got this little little plant. And um, then someone said, oh, but you have to go through customs from Canada to the United States. I don't think they'll allow you to take that in. And she goes, oh, just a minute. And she went in the back room with the plant, came back out with a. Uh, a package that was wrapped in uh, gift wrapped paper. She says, this is for your father. Uh, you don't know what's in it. <laughs> I thought she was pretty clever, you know. <clears throat> Every day when I walk around our property and I see our my my little orchard area, there's a backstory behind each tree. You know, where it came from and everything. Oh, that pomegranate you know, they're only about a few years old now, but <clears throat> getting pretty big. I said, oh, that one I I experiment. I, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't have a green thumb, really. Uh, you just read on the Internet. You talk to people. You trial in there. Uh, <clears throat> but I tried to propagate from my brother's uh, pomegranate trees. They must be, I don't know, several decades old, but... You get a little cutting, little branch, sprig, uh, maybe you get a dozen of them, and then you plant them. Put a little root hormone on the tip, and then you put it in a little pot, and, and you keep it moist. And it might start to grow roots there, and you can have another plant through a cutting. I must have tried it about three times, and each time I probably had a dozen cuttings. And from all those attempts, only one made it. You know, and uh, that's the one I have in my garden, you know, from a cutting. 
I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. Or oh, this tree, oh, so-and-so gave it to me. Or oh, this tree, oh, I remember going on Craigslist and looking in the garden section and or looking in the free section and, oh, I remember I got this from this guy. Oh, yeah, and look at this peach tree now. Okay. I look at a walnut tree that I bought from a local nursery and it must be the third or fourth walnut tree that finally made it. I, I had a lot of failures. So when I look at a walnut tree, I thought, oh, you know, I could see the three or four failures behind that tree. Learned, I learned something, but I don't know exactly what it is. But, you know, how deep you plant it and what you put in the hole when you first plant a new tree. And, um, but past failure lays the basis for future success, really. And that's how you learn. Um, I really learned that lesson from my father in a lot of different contexts. That failure is the basis of success. This is kind of like a, a non-duality. Usually you think failure is way on one extreme and success is way on the other extreme, but they're intertwined, you know. Um, like Edison said, oh, you know, he, he was trying to, an inventor tries all kinds of things. And one time a friend said, oh, you, you really had to, went through a lot of trouble to finally find out what works here. And, you know, what a waste if you had hit upon this thing right away, you wouldn't have all those failures. But he said, no, 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 I know all these ways that don't work. <laughs> you know? And I think he said genius is uh, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. <laughs> um, well, you know, when you look at anything, but especially plants, and especially plants in your own garden, the interconnections when you see something. This is in Japanese, the teaching called in-nen, and um, uh, dependent, interdependency. Um, this is what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing, you know. He says, when you look at a book, you should be able to see a cloud because the book is made of paper. Paper comes from trees. The clouds make rain, make the trees grow. Yeah, this is um, a tremendous thing. Well, I want to introduce, I'm not sure, you know, I should have checked uh, uh, the guest to give us a Dahmer glimpse. Uh, Douglas Sanyo is part of LM6. I'm wondering if he's on the line one of our callers this morning. Are you there, Douglas Sanyo? Can you can you speak up if you're there? I see all these numbers on our studio switchboard, but I don't know his his um, area code, so um, he he might not be. He something might have happened. He might not be on. I know that his. Um, uh, he had lost his father recently, maybe a week or so ago. So maybe it's related to that. You know, death hits a pause button on life, one's ordinary routine. We have to do all kinds of essential things. 
in our everyday life and but death hits a pause button and um uh it's of course unexpected even when it's expected it's unexpected and uh priorities are shifted around and everything uh it's really death is really a spiritual experience um When I was talking to a friend who who found out he had uh, some kind of a cancer, a bladder or something, kidney, and uh, I said, well, this is really, you know, reality, reality of life, reality with a capital R. And I, that's the phrase stuck with me. Um, it's the difference between knowing and experiencing, directly experiencing, you know. Um, if you, there's a, there's a difference between, say, knowing that ice water is cold and sticking your hand in the ice water. Uh, there's reality and reality with a capital R. Something really impacts us. It's sort of like, I remember Adrian's mom once mentioned that um, when my father would do a funeral, she said, uh, and I guess she had attended several, and she said, you know, your father, he says the same thing at funeral in in terms of the Dharma talk. She said, gee, he's always saying the same thing. But when it was one of her relatives that had passed away, oh, those words had impact. So this, and I also remember, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but too funny to me. Reverend Haya Akegarasu, who was uh, my father's teacher, and in one of his writings, he was, I don't remember the, <laughs> the, the topic or main point, but he used the example of, you know, a direct experience, the impact of it. And there's a question like, um, what's heavier, a pound of, uh, of uh, uh, iron poles or a pound of feathers? You know? Now, scientists would say, a pound's a pound. And, you know, it you, you, doesn't matter which one is, you, what you're carrying, it's, it's the same. But, but in the article, he said, to a to the person that's actually carrying these things, of course the pound of feathers is lighter. Okay. It feels lighter. Okay. This is the difference between sensation and perception. You know, in, in psychology, there is that subfield. It's called sensation and perception. Okay. There's social psychology, personality psychology, you know, all different subfields. But one area is called sensation and perception. See, some sensation is the sensory receptors of vision, hearing, and so touch and so forth, taste, smell. The sensory receptors, the physical stimuli from the environment that goes in. But perception is what happens in the brain when the signals are sent up to the brain and how you experience those stimuli. Uh, and it's very interesting. Okay, the brain can do 
we have illusions, we got this, we got that. What happens when in sensory deprivation experiments, you know, and all these kind of things. But anyway, I was thinking perhaps reality with a capital R, okay, we should be able to really experience that. And then I was thinking of another random thought that you might find of interest is that we have some listeners on the line, uh, some of the area codes, peoples I know, but I was thinking, um, or even for for Adrian, who's listening on another line in another room. Um, oh, last minute thing, uh, our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, uh, the scheduled one, scheduled person is uh, couldn't make it, so could you pinch it? Real last minute. Can you pinch it? Can you can you say some words about something? Most people, okay, think about it. Uh, some people they they really don't like to 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 do any public speaking, okay, in general. Maybe and you know I could I could understand that they have sort of a uh, fear of that, but not in that extreme case, but anybody else, you don't want to have that feeling of, no, no, I can't do that. Suppose, it, but you should be able to. I think it's a great uh, spiritual tool or, or even a practice, if you want to put it that way, is that you should always be ready to show your Buddhism. You know? Um, I remember sitting next to a, another fellow minister at a conference, and I was thinking, I was saying, yeah, you know, uh, if you're the guest speaker, you have to prepare and this and that. Somehow we're talking on that topic of giving talks. And we were, and he mentioned that at his home temple, not when he's a guest speaker, but at his home temple where he's the resident minister, you know, where it's more routine and everybody, you know, they're, um, he knows everybody, and it's very comfortable. His congregation members. It's an ordinary Sunday. He says sometimes he doesn't prepare a talk, and the chairman of the service says, "Okay, you know, the reverend's going to give his minister's message." And he gets up, and he's walking to the pulpit, and he doesn't know what he's going to talk about. And he says, "I love that rush. <laughs> I never heard of such a thing, you know." Um, uh, or maybe I remember one time somebody was visiting, a group was visiting us here at the center, um, and there was a minister. I, I knew I'm friends with him, a colleague, and and they had a group of about thirty people, and they were on a bus, you know, big, big one of those big buses. And as they were leaving, they toured our place and so forth, and then they got on the bus. And I was saying goodbye, and he goes, oh, Reverend Kowalski, come up here. Now, I think I don't want to read too much into this in terms of his teasing possible motivation. Uh, but there's a casino, Chuck Chansey, they call it. It's about five minutes down the road <laughs> near us. Uh, and so they had, well, first they had gone to Fresno. They visited down the ground gardens and other tourist stakes. They came from Bay Area, okay, several hours away. 
and then they're going to go to the casino. Okay, they have a nice buffet and slot machines and whatnot. But anyway, so they're so they're, that's where they're going next after our place. And he says, "Where come we'll say, Come over, come up here." So I, I got on the bus. He was sitting near the front, near the driver. He goes, "Can you?" Uh, uh, give a I don't I don't remember his exact words, but sort of like give a blessing or say a parting, uh, uh, you know, benediction type thing. Not that formal, but you know, to everybody. Um, and uh, I was thinking that's not really. And I had no warning of this. Okay, what am I going to say? Okay, but this is the kind of thing where. All your past, all your causes and conditions in your past, if you allow it to come up when it's something's pulled out of you, uh-huh, of course this requires some kind of a base of experience or something like this, experiences. But sort of similar to what that minister said. Oh, what a rush. I, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then I stand up. <laughs> you got to say, say something. Okay. But what I said was about uh, in Japanese culture, a frog is called kaeru. And that word kaeru, it's a different kanji or written character, but it's the same pronunciation. Maybe slightly different. <laughs> Ex- linguistic experts might say slightly different, but ordinary ear cannot tell the difference. Okay. Kaeru, kaeru. Kaeru also means to go home. Uh, and that's why a lot of uh, Japanese Americans, when they go gambling, they wear a little frog pin. That's a lucky charm. Okay. Not that we're really sus- superstitious, but because uh, they want to bring the money home. <laughs> they want to win so that they bring the money home. So it's a play on words between the frog and coming home, you know. And so I mentioned that. I said, well, I, I know you all have your frog pins, and, you know, and they all laughed. And then I said, okay, you know, and then <clears throat> put our hands together and got shown on, you know, say a farewell. Nembutsu, and uh, and uh, and I was thinking, oh, that, that sly reverend, you know, he's trying to put me on the spot and, uh, that's a kind of teasing between ministers, maybe creative or spontaneous rather. And, and always, uh, you know, this is where a lot of interesting creative things happen in interactions, interpersonal interactions. Huh? So my, my point here is that you should always be ready. Okay. You're, you trust that. Don't, don't say fear or what about, when you're in your car and car doesn't start and you don't know anything about cars, don't panic, open the hood and look under there and, and just, just, just look with a calm mind, look around. Okay. You might see a wire that's loose. Oh, and it looks like that end goes right in there. It must have came off of there. I don't know what it is for or whatever, but, oh, I'll put that on there. 
or maybe it's a vacuum line that you could see that, oh, it's supposed to go on to here. Let me just try it, and then what if your car starts up? You know. So just uh, don't panic. Huh? Let's see what what the situation pulls. You know what comes, what happens. Okay. <laughs> or you might say, so for example, if I call on somebody this morning, I said, well, our, our regular scheduled speaker can't make it. Uh, uh, at a gathering, say, and she say, oh. Could you say a few words? Okay. And if it's a fellow minister, they could do it. Huh? You know? But everybody should be able to do it because they should have had a lot of practice if their teacher told them that their inner teacher within themselves was always asking, show me your Buddhism right now. Okay? That's a very valuable spiritual tool, and you know? To always be challenging yourself like that, okay? Um, and supposing that happened, well, somebody I was thinking, well, you know, it's not really fair to the speaker that you asked for, but they might say, you're in tune with the situation with yourself. You might say, oh, what do you say when you don't have anything to say? And maybe you start looking at that topic. I don't have anything to say. Well, maybe uh, words are overrated, or you might go, you might make a whole new Dharma talk that you would have never conceived of unless you were put into that situation. It's not that you created something good in spite of the situation, but because of the situation (laughs) that you were able to do it. So these were some of my thoughts, and I thought, uh, you know, uh, some good lessons there. Well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day.